uh, topic being in the book, but um, uh, I didn't think they thought it through very well, and I went ahead and uh, put this preamble uh, before the essay because uh, I, I wanted them to rethink it. So let me just uh, read this quickly for you. Um, I grew up a native Catholic in the Bible Belt. Oh, I'm sorry, I grew up a naive Catholic in the Bible Belt, actually a native of New Orleans, that's what I was thinking. Uh, when I discovered goddess and learned how patriarchy had stolen her and her values from the world, what patriarchal religion had done to women, I was never the same. I developed a healthy skepticism for versions of history written by the conquerors. No longer was I a sheeple, or at least I tried not to be. I studied, studied Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. I distrusted the Warren Commission's assessment of the JFK assassination. And as times changed, uh, now I'm probably in the majority. We've witnessed our country start a war on the pretext of 9-11 with another country that had nothing to do with 9-11. We've seen bankers get away with destroying the economy and stealing people's homes and pensions, and no one went to jail. The United States has been part of overthrowing governments and orchestrating false flag attacks to start wars. America has repeatedly committed cultural genocide in the name of Christianity. We've sterilized unwilling Native American women and conducted unwanted tests on unwitting African American men. More and more people no longer consider you a conspiracy theorist if you think governments have kept visits by extraterrestrials a secret. What was the real Manhattan Project? Do we really know what happened to Marilyn Monroe, Princess Diana, and Jimmy Hoffa? We suspect terror is used now as a ploy to influence elections, and why don't we have a paper backup on, our, on all our election machines? Is the Russia connection in the Trump administration real, a deflection, or a bit of both? There are so many unanswered questions, so many potential alternative histories, so many out-of-place artifacts that point to very different academic theories about our earliest civilizations. There are many valid concerns and unanswered questions regarding the circumstances related to 9-11, even to sober-minded scientists and engineers who have had the courage to speak out. Thomas Jefferson said dissent is patriotic. We must question. We cannot be passively. We, we cannot be passive, particularly in light of former President Dwight D. Eisenhower's warning about the danger of the military-industrial complex. I think we're smartest if we have little certainty, much healthy skepticism, and use critical thinking. Though I realize that might be very hard for some to endure. Yes, of course, I know some might see this as a controversial essay to include in this book, but after interviewing David on my radio show and seeing with my own eyes the Twin Towers falling like the many controlled demolitions I've witnessed taking down Las Vegas hotels, I felt this essay has a place as we speak about replacing domination and exploitation with partnership and other values of the sacred feminine. We must find our spiritual courage to see and speak about those things that might be some of the hardest of our lifetime to examine, and we must go where the facts take us. We must have the spiritual courage to hold an alternative viewpoint, as uncomfortable as that might sometimes be. So let me um, read you uh, David's bio, and then I'm going to invite him to uh, chat about this, uh, this subject David has a B.S. in physics 
an MA in education and an MS in mathematics and is retired from teaching physics and math at the high school and college levels for 35 years. He has been an active researcher with architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and is currently coordinator of scientists for 9-11 Truth. He became known in the 9-11 Truth community primarily for his analysis of the building collapses at the World Trade Center on 9-11. He published proof that World Trade Center Building 7 underwent a prolonged period of freefall and publicly challenged the blatantly false assertions to the contrary by NIST. For a building to collapse at freefall implies demolition. David maintains a website that highlights his own work and the work of several other independent 9-11 scientific researchers, and that website is 911speakout.org. David Chandler, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you so much for being with me tonight and, um, and having the courage uh, to stand up against um, the people who I'm sure wanted to shoot you down. Um, you know, it's not easy to stand up to, um, oh, I, you know, so many voices that uh, either might be afraid to hear what you have to say or maybe have an agenda for what you have uh, to say not being heard. Um, over the years since this has happened, um, where do you think we're at? Are there more believers? Have people forgotten? Um, what, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a lot of us. Uh, there's actually quite a few of us who have been in the 9-11 research community, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, we're not going away. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's uh, an insight. Like, I have an insight into what happened based on uh, my physics background and re recognizing and understanding what I'm looking at. And uh, not just looking at with my eyes, but I, I did some digging and did measurements and so forth. And uh, I have a, an understanding of what happened that uh, once you see it, you don't unsee it. So... It's right. basically, it's very clear to me and to many of the others that this really was uh, a demolition. It was not uh, a natural collapse due to the airplanes and fires. So there's something else going on here. Right. Well, it's, so, been, it's been 18 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think looking back um, at what happened in 2001 um, is still important for us to be talking about today and, um, mm -hmm. and teaching about, quite frankly? Well, look at everything that has come about because of 9-11. It, it was a turning point in our history as a nation. It was, I think it was intentionally intended to be a turning point in U.S. domestic and foreign policy. Uh, we have the War on Terror. We had the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act was a long, long, it's like almost like a book thick uh, uh, piece of legislation, and it was ready within days after 9-11. I don't know exactly how many days, but within a couple of weeks at the most. And <clears throat> it was put out and voted on before anybody had a chance to read it. So it was uh, part of the preparation for this transformation that's taken place. So whether um, uh, understanding the nature of the event, I mean, it's not just something in the abstract, it's something that 
um, it lives on. Uh, we're living through the post-9-11 world, and you, you, how much time has gone by since you last saw something justified based on 9-11? I mean, you have torture, you have drone assassinations. Look at all this fear of immigrants and fear of Muslims. Uh, all of that is spinoff from 9-11. So it hasn't gone away. It, it dominates um, our thinking about the world. And it's important to, to get a grip on exactly what it was that happened and not just uh, take for granted that we were told the truth because it's very clear to those of us who have a little bit of insight into what we're seeing happening, we were not told the truth. And uh, I think that changes the way we see the world and the way we interact with the world. So let me, you know, I mean, 18 years ago, I mean, that's a, that's a young adult, somebody, this happened before uh, a young adult who is maybe now just getting ready to vote. Um, I mean, in a way, it's a short lifetime ago. Um, mm -hmm. And you talk about the Patriot Act, and, and we're living in the post-9-11 world and the repercussions of that. Just briefly, um, mention to listeners some of the things that have changed, you know, maybe some of the rights that we've lost or some of the, you know, um, you know what has been taken away from Americans besides our, you know, maybe our trust in the world um, legally, um, you know, what have we really lost? Because I wonder if, if a lot of people grasp that. You know, they know Congress did a bunch of stuff, but were they even paying attention? Mm -hmm. Well, um, don't most Americans figure that they have a right to, if they're arrested or challenged legally, that they have a right to counsel, they have a right to a, free, a trial? I mean, that's a constitutional right. Uh, the, uh, to be put in prison without charges and without access to a lawyer, I mean, that's what's happened. All they have to do is pretend that you're a terrorist or call you a terrorist. Or, I mean, whether they have evidence or not, uh, it's not, you know, it's not been established as the truth until it's been uh, litigated. And if you right. are arrested as a terrorist, you don't have any rights. Uh, at least that's the way they've interpreted all this. So um, that's pretty big. And then look at all the, you yeah, know, the justification mean, of torture. Look at look at our assumption these days that anything we send in the email or on the phone or communicate in any way, even just uh, going down the street, you have so little privacy. You have uh, universal surveillance, and you have a a big facility out in Utah somewhere where they're, they've captured pretty much every single bit of Internet traffic and um, phone conversations and so forth. I mean, this is like a totalitarian government in the sense of uh, control over the people. So it right. may not have well, uh, come down to some of the consequences that we saw in World War II and so forth, but it's, it has the potential for that. Excuse me, go ahead. Well, and, and, just, and you think about the, how they can disappear innocent people at these black sites. Um, oh, yeah. that's, that's pretty scary because say you're mm -hmm. an activist, say you're a well-known activist, mm -hmm. and you oppose the government because you're a peace activist or you're an environmentalist or you know, whatever it is you think the government shouldn't be doing and you speak out loudly. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they can literally disappear you, and that would kind of be the end of you. Um, I mean, people wouldn't know where you were. Uh, they wouldn't 
uh, you know, they, they might not necessarily know how to find you. Um, I mean, that's pretty scary because some people might say, well, you know, if you don't have anything to hide, uh, why should you worry? I mean, I've heard and read that so often. But what if you're just the enemy of the president? You know, we see how this president behaves. I mean, he's made the, the media the enemy. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. not that I'm for the corporate media. But, um, it, but it, it scares me because I think you could just get on the bad side of somebody higher up. And uh, if they have the right connections, um, you know, you might not be heard from again. I mean, is, is, does that mm-hmm. sound um, preposterous or extreme? No, it's not at all preposterous because that's what's happening. And, you know, look at the, the whole idea of terrorism as a separate category of something. Um, you know, you might murder somebody, but then you should be tried for murder. But to be accused of terrorism as though that's something different than uh, whether it's murdering or whatever else the activity is. It's something that uh, is, is seen as um, out, of the, you know, out of the context of ordinary law. And so you don't have the protections of the Constitution. And uh, so basically you're being accused and judged and incarcerated without any opportunity to correct the record. Um, Who knows if you have done something or not, or wrongly arrested or whatever. A lot of the people at Guantanamo were just somebody that somebody turned in, and they've been there for years. And they never had a trial. They never had an opportunity to set the record straight. So, I mean... It does go yeah. on. It's not. It's not something hypothetical. Right. Right. And I mean, there's just so many things happening since 9/11. I mean, uh, to me, and I don't want to go too far afield here, but we've. You know, we've found that we can't trust the people in Congress to um, do the right thing when there's bad behavior. I mean, look at how the Republicans uh, don't call out uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, we may be finding out pretty soon that he's an asset of Russia. You know, I mean, I read today that the Mueller investigation may be coming out in a few weeks. Um, And the Republicans, you know, so they can get their tax cuts, anything for the money. Um, You know, they've stood by this guy, you know, to be damned with patriotism, be damned with the Constitution. Um, It feels like some of the biggest flag wavers um, are the first to let our protections, you know, fall to the wayside if it, for some reason, it benefits them, especially their pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't disagree. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's a real turn. Like I said, 9-11 was a major turning point in the whole attitude towards um, uh, how we interact with the world because it, um, you know, it, it set up this whole, uh, boogeyman of terrorism. So, no, we shouldn't have violence. No, we shouldn't have murder. Or no, we shouldn't have these other things. But those are crimes, and they should be treated as crimes, and you should get your day in court. And to be able to well, and, 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 convict you because they accused you is fundamentally contrary to everything we believe in. 
Well, and just because the government says you've done something doesn't mean they have the evidence right either. That's um, right. You know, and I'm and I'm thinking thinking about how you know Saudi Arabia uh, was implicated in everything, and the people uh, in the planes, uh, I believe, were supposed to be Saudi Arabian. And you know, we just do we just sit by and don't hold this country accountable. I guess because of the oil and the the money and their investments in the United States, probably their investments in certain people's political campaigns. I mean, look what just happened with um, uh, one of the higher-ups there in Saudi Arabia who allegedly had that uh, journalist killed. You know, mm-hmm. nothing. You know, we just mm-hmm. turn our head and look the other way. And um, I don't know if it's that, you know, just at this stage of my life in the last few decades, I've been paying attention now, and I didn't pay attention before. But it seems like... Um, uh, I don't know. It seems like people uh, didn't quite take these extreme measures because they felt there was going to be some accountability. But now I get the feeling people, uh, you know, people are taking bigger chances. Whether it be the bankers crashing the economy, or this uh, Saudi Arabian prince, or whoever was behind 9/11, because they somehow know they're going to get away with it. They're not going to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that probably sounds real conspiracy theorist, but I wonder what it is that changed, you know, that, um, uh, you know, it, it's almost, I, I don't even know how to language it, uh, but it's almost like um, people know they're just not going to get caught if they're, if they're rich and connected, um, but yet a mother who maybe steals bread because she doesn't have money um, will get thrown in jail for robbery, <laughs> You know, um, it's a crazy time, t- crazy time we're living in. Well, um, the kinds well, of changes you're you, talking about are changes that are to the benefit of a certain class of people. And um, so some of, some of the implications of my research, um, to bring it back to what I know something about, is that uh, these events were set in motion uh, intentionally. They were not – I mean – a demolition requires uh, foreknowledge, preparation, coordination. Uh, so things were going on before the day of 9-11. And so it wasn't like a surprise attack out of nowhere. It was people setting the stage for this before 9-11 happened. And uh, then right. the, cover-up, the cover-up started immediately on the same day as 9-11. The people that appeared on... You know, people appeared on the television stations on the day of 9-11 giving uh, the complete official story of what happened and why the buildings fell and everything else uh, right there as though they knew anything the rest of us didn't know. And uh, it was yeah. it was a part of an orchestrated um, effort to, um, to change the way the world works. You know, to talk about a, you yeah. know, they talk about a new world order, well... Uh, hey, you you need to shake up people to where they you know terrorism. Look at terrorism. It's a it's an appeal to fear. That's what terror is, isn't it? Yeah. Is you're basically yeah. trying to yeah. get people yeah. to be afraid. And why do you want someone to be afraid? Is so that they will um, allow you to supposedly uh, work on your behalf and allow you to go around the rules and do things a different way. So. They wanted to set yeah. aside uh, the protections that normally would uh, cover civilians and so forth. 
I want to say one other thing, by the way. You've mentioned a couple of times the word conspiracy theory. And that is a word that literally, if you, if you type, the, type the word conspiracy theories into – Google has a tool, and I can't remember the name of it offhand. It might come to me here. But you look up um, – they have a tool. They have you know, thousands uh, of books that they have digitized. And you can look up a word or a phrase, and it will show you uh, how many times that word gets used in all of the literature they've digitized over time. And you can see that the, that the use of the word conspiracy theories started in 1962 um, with the Kennedy assassination. And it's just like it's a ramp that's come up since then. It was something – there's actually a document – so this is not a conspiracy theory. This is a fact. There is a document where the CIA is giving suggestions to uh, people on how to, uh, to how to deal with people who question the Warren Commission. And one of the things they're using is the idea that you know conspiracy theories are unreliable. It's based on wild speculation, and they're not to be trusted, and so forth. So the word conspiracy theory itself has been given a meaning that has nothing to do with what the actual definition of a conspiracy is. A conspiracy is where uh, several people uh, talk it over and commit a crime. You know, so they're, they're doing that. But um, um, what we have here is something entirely different. It's uh, there. I just got handed a note. Let me let me help you. I think I think what you're saying is this is this is this is spin. Um, this mm-hmm. is to discredit the naysayers. They've they've That's created right. this. Um, they, they've created this um, label to discredit. That's right. It's a label who, intending who to discredit yeah. people. Yes. There's a book, yeah. by the way, yeah. called yeah. Conspiracy it's, Theory in America. I highly recommend it by a guy named Lance DeHaven Smith, Conspiracy Theory in America. And he goes through this whole evolution of this topic of how this word has become weaponized to use to, uh, uh, to make people who um, deviate from accepted discourse uh, make them uh, seem like they're crazy. I've been there so many times by supposedly – intelligent, uh, uh, thoughtful people, if I bring up the topic of 9-11, I can't get half a sentence out before they shut down the conversation. It's a taboo subject. And it's not as though it's something that happened that's significant and that it should be open for conversation and discussion. No. If you bring up 9-11 with any kind of critical thought behind it, immediately they shut you down because they assume or they i mean they assume that you are uh just you know babbling nonsense crazy. without any yeah. Yeah, without crazy. any reference to what you're actually saying so but you that's, know what that's I how the word is used I, I, 
Well, and I'm, and and I and we're going to get into the specifics, uh, even if it takes. It, we run a little long if you have the time, mm-hmm. David. But because mm-hmm. I think all of this is important, you know, we're kind of peeling away the different onions and uh, the different layers of the onion. But I wonder too sometimes if people want to shut down the conversation because they are afraid to entertain the idea that this that that uh, our government could have done this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I, it's amazing I, I, there are there are you're, academics. You're you, excuse me, there are academics that have been fired from their jobs for uh, doing research on this topic. Um, uh, some of the people in, involved with our research have lost their jobs because of their research on this. Uh, there's yeah, in the yeah. in the media, you never hear 9/11 uh, skepticism referred to without it being somehow treated derogatorily at the same time. And they, right. uh, and, or t- they use the word conspiracy theory always uh, in association with this. Not that just that it's a, a rational thought about an event that happened, but that it's a conspiracy theory, that it's something which is um, uh, some kind of a out-of-the-ordinary um, you know, kind of an approach to something. So, in other words, you're not allowed to uh, have uh, free-flowing thought and conversation and research about a topic that's really, if you think about it, back up and look at it. It's huge. It was a major event, and it's the basis for all of this stuff that's continuing, and we're not supposed to talk about it. I mean, isn't that crazy? Right. It is. It, it is. I mean, it's like not wanting to talk about the history of the country. I mean, would we would we say let's not talk about the Civil War, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because somebody benefited from slaves, you know? Well, and you have that's controversial. Right, well, Look, we have Southerners as well as Northerners amongst us, and so we don't want to offend anybody. So let's not talk about the Civil War. So it is very similar to that in some ways. Yeah. I mean, it, you All know, right, well, it, that's another. Go ahead. No, go right ahead. I, I didn't mean oh, to interrupt your thoughts. Uh, okay. Well, well, let's go ahead and get into the specifics. Um, you and several thousand architects, engineers, and scientists, I mean, learned people who know about these things, um, mm-hmm. you know, believe the airplanes that hit the World Trade Center and the resulting fires uh, are not what caused the buildings to collapse. And what, mm-hmm. what what are you seeing that other people might not be seeing or might not understand? I mean, I know you said that it had to be prepped way before the mm-hmm. day, but, but what else is mm-hmm. there? Well, if you let me talk about my own personal research into this. Uh, different ones among us. I mean, we, I've, I'm a, the head of an organization called Scientists for 9-11 Truth. We have about 100 people. I think we have 90 people right now are scientists and engineers and uh, so forth. So, uh, People come at it from different angles with different insights. But my particular uh, insight was looking at the buildings and the way they fell. And one of the things that first caught my eye was the North Tower, as it was coming down, did not look like it was coming down. It was blowing out. And I saw large chunks of material from high in the building being thrown laterally, horizontally, out of the building and going all the way across the street And as I watched that a couple of times through, I realized I have what it takes to figure out from the trajectory of that chunk of stuff how fast it was moving. And I I basically stopped the video, took out a ruler, 
did some measurements, looked up on the Internet the dimensions of some of the buildings and so I could get a scale there. And I estimated that some of those things were being thrown out over 60 miles an hour. And I went back later with a measuring tool I have that enables you to take a video clip and you can step through it frame by frame and track the motion of an object and get a more precise measurement. I had some chunks of stuff that I found going over 70 miles an hour horizontally being thrown out of the building. What's causing that? I mean, that, that's not something that's a clincher for me, but it definitely caught my attention. And it's like something is going on here. It's not just material falling down. You expect there to be some blowing out of stuff as it falls down. But large, heavy chunks with big, huge clouds of white smoke percolating off the surface as it's being thrown horizontally at like 70 miles an hour, that's incredible. So then I took that same measuring tool. Once I dug that out and started using it, I started measuring everything I could find. And then one of the things I measured is how fast the buildings came down. And it's not, when I say how fast, I'm just using loose terminology for the public here. But there's a term called acceleration. You can measure how, how the building moved downward and how it picked up speed as it fell. And one of the things about the, the Twin Towers, the, the North Tower is the one that had the cleanest example of this, but it picked up speed the entire time that it was falling. And it, normally if you take a hammer and you drive, uh, you drive a nail with it, you, you come down and it gives you an excess force on the nail. It's what drives it into the wood. That's more force than just the hammerhead by itself. But when it's the process of doing that, the nail pushes back. And so when you use a hammer on a nail, the nail brings the hammer to rest. You have to lift it up and hit it again, don't you? So that yeah. process of uh, trying to push, you had to crush the vertical columns in the building in order to get it to collapse. It's not just the floors pancaking down. That was put out early on, but that doesn't explain the building. The, the building had huge, multiple, it had 47 core columns, massive core columns, tightly bound together. It was like a building within a building. And if the floors had pancaked down the way they said at first, it would have left that core structure still standing there. And that didn't happen. The core structure was crushed down, is at least what they say. But it wasn't crushed down because if you're crushing down something like that, it's going to slow down the thing. Something's coming down and hitting it. It's going to slow down the hammerhead, so to speak. And that didn't happen. Observationally, you can see the top part of the building that was coming down on the bottom part did, did not slow down. It never slowed down, which tells you that it's not actually uh, the hammer is not driving the nail, or the pile driver is not effectively crushing anything. So there's something else that works. So understanding the dynamics of how that works, you know that what you're seeing is the top part of the building was not crushing anything. It was falling into pre-pulverized material. So there were explosions pulverizing what was beneath, which enabled the top part to fall and never slow down. It's picked up speed the entire right. way down. So that was yeah, that, my that key insight. Yeah. But then when I went to the okay. second, the, the, there was another building that a lot of people, many of your listeners may not even realize, there were three buildings that came down precipitously on 
9-11 that day. Two were the Twin Towers, but then a building across the street from it was the third building in the complex called Building 7. It fell at 5.20 in the evening. And there are a lot of people who have never seen it come down. And if you go to my website, 911speakout.org, I have a lot of video clips and things there. The very first thing you see on that page is a loop that shows you Building 7 coming down. Because if you haven't seen it, just simply take a look. It, all, it looks exactly like a controlled demolition. And so this building, so when David. I measured the roof line, when I measured the roof line for Building 7, not only was it picking up speed the entire way, it was falling at exactly the acceleration of gravity. So you take out your car keys and you let go, that's how fast it fell. So it's falling with zero resistance. So it's absolute proof. Well, in- it's absolute proof that it had to have been a demolition. You can't do that. You can't have a building collapse through its own structure with zero resistance. And that's what we saw happening. Well, and you're saying and you're saying this was also across the street. I mean, if mm-hmm. in, unless, you know, one of the Twin Towers fell on it, I mean, how could they even justify a building across the street collapsing? It wasn't like the planes hit it. Or, That's or, right. No plane or, hit this building. Know, there were some yeah. fires in the building. Yeah. But this was a massive steel frame building. It was a huge building. If the Twin Towers weren't there, you would have noticed this building by itself. Uh, it's about it's about half the height of the towers, but it would occupy if you the the footprint of the building would cover a football field. Okay, it's about a, it's 100 meters from side to side, and it's pretty much the same width as the football field. It covers that area, and yet here's this building that size, 47 stories high, coming down with the, the roof line level. With sudden onset, it just let go and fell, and the roof line stayed level. Well, how can you do that? You have all of these vertical columns throughout this building, and for the entire roof line to come down and stay level, all of those columns across the entire width of the building had to fail simultaneously within a fraction of a second. And it fell at absolute free fall for two and a half seconds. The first two and a half seconds after it lets go and falls, that's over 100 feet of free fall. So it's like taking out eight floors of material low in the building in order for this to, to come crashing down like that. It was, it's just unbelievably yeah, I mean, obvious that this was a demolition. And yet, NIST, well, and it's remember, like you, you mentioned to, NIST, you that's the National just, Institute of Standards and Technology, and that was the organization that was doing the official story for how the official account for how the buildings fell. And they claimed you know, the way they handled the freefall, they denied it. They said it came down 40% slower than freefall. But I measured it. I knew it was at freefall. And I had an opportunity, uh, they had a technical briefing conference, and I had an opportunity to pose the question on how that. Uh, could that measurement could be set aside. And we pressured them on it, and they actually changed their final report. So my measurements vindicated. It's not like I'm a flaky guy off the side here. They actually conceded that my measurement was accurate. They just lied at that point. They lied about the implications. They said, oh, this is consistent with our analysis. 
No way. It's not consistent with any analysis. You cannot have a building fall at free fall through its own structure. So that's my particular so, contribution to this conversation. So, so let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't ask this question because I deny what you're saying. I, I, I believe mm-hmm. what you're saying because, I mean, every, mm-hmm. uh, what you're saying makes total sense to me, and I've seen this stuff with my own eyes too. Um, mm-hmm. it, it had to be such a massive cover-up. I mean, you've got this organization that you just mentioned willing to um, alter the, you know, the, the findings, um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there had to be so many people who knew about this. You know, the people mm-hmm. who set the charges. Um, you know, uh, it, it, I mean, I guess I wonder, what are your thoughts on how there could be a, cons- a conspiracy so huge? I mean, how mm-hmm. do you get um, independent scientific agencies to go with a story so huge as this? Um, okay. You know, and everybody that. else's mouths had to be shut. Yeah. Okay. NIST is not an independent scientific agency. It's an agency okay. that's in the U.S. government. It's under the Department of Commerce, and it's in the executive branch of government. And if you look, actually, it's like a 10,000-page report. But if you read the NIST report, you find lots and lots and lots of very thorough, uh, very detailed, accurate, scientific material in there. And then you find conclusions that contradict what's right in the report itself. Let me give you one example. They have a a long, a very long chapter on the Building 7 report. They had a very long chapter on the fires that that were in the building that day and how the fires progressed. They have all of these photographs with time stamps, and so you can see where the fire is, our, you know, 15-minute blocks all through the day, and they verified that says right in there that any one place within the building only burned for about 15 minutes because then it would depleted the fuel and moved on. And it, it, they basically, their account of how that building fell required there to be exceedingly hot, prolonged fires in one particular place around, they said, column 79. So they had their theory on how that was the trigger for this thing. But the, the fire burned through that area early in the day, and there was nothing left to burn. And so all of this work that's right in the NIST report, you can read it for yourself, it's right there. It's good, solid science. And by the time the building fell at 520 in the evening, most of the fires were out. It was, it was that blatant. And yet the way they handle it is you have some political hacks at the top that were installed to manage this process. And so just a few people at the top of the process here. And they introduced a computer model to simulate the fires. And then they were able to tweak the model. And sure enough, they're able to get a hot, prolonged blaze around column 79 uh, just before it fell. So it's lying. It's using um, sleight of hand techniques to produce um, a report that actually includes lots of good, solid, factual material, direct observations, but then they falsify it with this computer model that asserts the exact opposite. Then they go with the computer model and ignore all this other stuff. So they've created a bunch of bulk in the report to make it longer and harder for people to read through, and then they put in their own 
results there which have nothing to do with what they just researched. I mean, it's so blatant. And then what I was involved with, the free fall of Building 7, they, their r- report initially in the August version, just before the final version uh, of 2008, they, uh, they were denying free fall. They said the building came down 40% slower than free fall. I mean, they're saying that when the, the observations show it came down at free fall. I mean, that's a huge discrepancy. And how did they do that? Right. They used a completely invalid measurement technique that if I had had a kid do that for me in a, in a physics class in high school, I wouldn't have given them any credit for it because it's completely invalid. Uh, and they used the equation that's shown right there applies only under certain particular conditions, and those conditions were not met. This, it was a very, I mean, these guys know what they're doing. So it was fraudulent. It wasn't just a slip-up. They had this report that was completely fraudulent. So once we challenged them on it, and then they put in the rewrite, if you go to the final version of the NIST report for Building 7, it has, uh, it keeps all of that fraudulent approach in there and said, by the way, there is this uh, other layer of more detailed analysis, and they go through this more detailed approach, which acknowledges free fall, but then it's just hand-waving. It's just like, um, I mean, it is so, so blatant, but it's not as though the work that makes up the bulk of that report, it's not like all of the scientists and engineers at NIST were in on it. It was that they were just perfunctorily doing their jobs, and the guys at the top, remember this is an agency in the executive branch of government under the Bush administration, and the Bush administration was notorious for manipulating science toward its policy objectives, and that's what's going on here. So they had a few people at the top that were basically creating the summary report, which is basically all most people ever looked at. So, so, I mean, let's, it's, let's it's a type of thing should... where people doing their jobs and not, you know, they have their jobs at stake. Are they going to rock the boat? I mean, there's a lot of that kind of attitude as well. So, you know, right. I was lucky well, when I was well, teaching, maybe... I had an administrator who supported what I was doing. And I never had any problem because of this. But uh, some of the other people that I worked with in the movement, they lost their jobs. Uh, Stephen Jones, who is a professor of physics at Brigham Young University, and he lost, he was forced to retire way before his retirement date, and so he has a paltry retirement because uh, he was involved in this research. So it's like, you know, there's people who get money from the government for funding various things, and they have an an agenda uh, to not rock the boat, and so people who don't want to lose their jobs, they stay silent. Well, and, and, and believe me, look, I can understand that, but, it, but I, I'm, I'm just thinking about the multitudes of people who, who, um, who sold out, in a sense, who, um, you know, who didn't care about patriotism, who didn't care about truth and justice. I mean, it was the media. I mean, uh, now, 
and, and maybe it's because the media, you know, journalism isn't the fourth estate anymore, protecting democracy. You know, now mm-hmm. media journalism is just a hand of corporations. But So you have mm-hmm. the media that they had to count on was not going to look too close. You had the whole mm-hmm. Congress who just were, were too afraid to – uh, you know, say anything. You had, like you just said, mm-hmm. um, colleges. I mean, the bastions of of our educational system just rolled over and played dead. Um, right. I mean, it's like all of the institutions, all of the institutions failed us. Um, There's a, a very it, good so documentary like, called 9/11 in Academia, or it's, I can't remember if that's the exact title, but on the front page of my website, 911speakout.org. You scroll down to the bottom, and there I have the video. It's embedded right there, and you can see it. It's a very well-produced uh, documentary about how the academic community has reacted to 9-11. And a number of people who have bucked the system and have spoken out, uh, some of whom have suffered retaliation and others of whom uh, were able to get through it, but they talk about how this, is, uh, how this conversation gets shut down. Oh, by right, the way, so my partner, my partner is writing a series of articles that's probably going to become a book. It's called uh, "Why Good People uh, Stay Silent or Worse About 9/11." And so she's a psychologist. Um, she's a psychotherapist who has um, uh, taken this as her point of interest: is how come people stay silent about something like this? And there are a lot of forces at work here. And that's, um, well, and, uh, and that will be in, that that will that will be interesting. I hope you'll put her in touch with me, and um, so mm-hmm. I can interview her. But uh, but mm-hmm. you know about people staying silent, um, and I want to get into the Bush administration. But but I want to piggyback mm-hmm. on something you just said, and I don't know whether mm-hmm. these two things are connected. But I just got finished myself writing an essay about recognizing abuse recognizing Mm -hmm. abuse, and I wrote it because I felt like so many of us just don't have healthy boundaries. We accept Mm -hmm. abuse as normal. And I, you know, and, and I think this um, this whole domination and exploitation of of the American people by uh, whoever it was, allegedly the Bush administration or whoever in the government was, um, uh, you know, in cahoots here. I mean, it's it, it's domination, it's exploitation, it's totalitarianism. I mean, there's probably uh, you know five or six other different things we could call it. You know, besides not being patriotic. Uh, uh, you know, not caring about the Constitution. And I would imagine it was all done for con- power, control, and money. But, but you know, if, but where I'm going with this is there is something in the psyche, and I don't know if it's of humans or if it's Americans. I don't know if we're more susceptible. But why do we tolerate such bad treatment? You know, um, I don't. I, sometimes I want to lay it at the feet of religion because, just as a recovering Catholic, what did we have to look at on the altar? We had a, a, a you know, a suffering and dying God. You know, um, religion makes suffering uh, and sacrifice noble. A suffering in silence. You know, you hear about oh, the woman who suffered in silence for her husband or her family, as if it's something to be proud of. You know, mm-hmm. and I almost think that there's. Um, you know, there's there's something to this that we tolerate so much. 
Um, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be abuse in the workforce or whether it be abuse by religious institutions. I mean, look at the Catholic Church and the pedophiles and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all the things we, we know some of the religious organizations have been guilty of. But they're never held accountable, you know. Anyway, um, just ju- just a peripheral subject there, you know, to piggyback on your psychologist friend, um, you know, I, I will love to read uh, her assessment of, of, you know, why we don't stand up for ourselves, why, why we have such flimsy boundaries and allow ourselves to be doormats. Um, I, I don't know. But let's, talk, let's, let's and unless you have a comment about that, let's move on to well, the Well, I want to say one thing. I mean, and, uh, her writing has been a serial essay, which is going to be eventually a book. But it's a serial essay, and it's published at the Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth website. That's ae911truth.org. And you can find it. Her name is Francis or Fran Shure, S-H-U-R-E. So if you Google that, you should be able to find it, and you can read at least uh, the ones that she's written so far. So she's uh, well up in the 20s. I can't remember what chapter she's on, 25, 26, something like that. But um, it's an ongoing thing and she's not done yet all right well let's make uh, please make sure you connect us um I'll, so I'll let's, send you the information. Um, let's get to the bush ad- okay uh, so let's so you believe the bush administration was do- directly involved in causing 9-11 tell me what leads you to this conclusion well one of the things that Jane is I mean, <laughs> well okay well there's that but one of the things uh there's a number of institutions that I think were involved. Uh, you, you had to have coordination on this large scale. So just the fact right. that somebody planted explosives before the day of 9-11, what does that tell you? It tells you that somebody was coordinating with the entire event. It tells you that the airplanes, the hijackings, were not a surprise attack, some sort of an independent event, but that was part of the plan. And in fact, it would be part of the cover-up right there because the, the real cause of the buildings coming down would be the explosives. So the planes just basically gave a rationale for why the buildings fell. It wasn't the real reason. And then you have, uh, so you have the CIA and the FBI having various roles. You have the military-industrial complex, this, the material that I was one of the one of the people in our group uh, was one who discovered that the dust from the World Trade Center. He got samples from a number of different places in New York, and all of those samples have these little flakes or little chips in them that are red on one side and gray on the other. And by analyzing these, they discovered that this is a material called nanothermite, which is a military grade explosive it's a and it could be used as an incendiary it can be used as an explosive it can be used for rocket fuel so it's it's a kind of special material that's not on the open market and it's very very energetic energetic and it's able to um, uh, cut right through steel less like butter so it, it produces extremely high temperatures and will cut through steel very quickly so uh, this is material that uh, so the industri- military-industrial complex had to have been involved to produce all this. They had to have people with expertise in demolition to uh, set it up. 
And by the way, a friend of mine I was talking to, I was thinking in terms of like these companies that do control demolitions, and he said, well, hey, the, the most experienced demolition crew in America is the U.S. Army. I mean, there's so many uh, demo, you know, they, he said the Corps of Engineers, they set it up and we tear it down. So he was a demolitions expert in the military. So there's people who right. are capable of doing the demolitions. You had to have the materials. You had to coordinate with the flights. You had to coordinate with the military to not shoot down the flights till they got to their targets. You had to coordinate with the State Department to get these hijackers into the country. They came in under screwy visas. Most of the hijackers came in through one particular consulate in Arabia. I think it was in Jeddah. And, uh, and, and through one person, actually, who processed them through. So there's all kinds of things going on here at all kinds of levels. Once these guys were in the U.S., they were being tracked by the FBI. So there are so many tentacles that reach out. So little bits and pieces of this puzzle were handled by different agencies. So I was wondering, what about the administration? And the thing that hit me, actually rather late in this process, is look at that NIST report again. Who, I mean, NIST is an organization that prides itself on its competency. It's, uh, they are, the, they are the, the standard for, uh, I mean, they, they used to be called the National Bureau of Standards. It's a very highly respected uh, scientific organization. What's going to motivate them to produce a transparently fraudulent report like this so badly that anybody who had anything to do with it has to know it's fraudulent because it's, it's so transparent? any case, what would it take? Well, they are not going to do that on their own. They had to have been pressured. And who is upstream from NIST? Well, this is in the executive branch of the government. You go very far upstream, you go right to the door of the White House. So that's where I think the tie-in is with the administration. So blatantly obvious that, uh, that NIST was part of the cover-up because they were forced to do that, and the people were put in place who would do that. Um, you know, people at the top of the chain in, within this in order to produce this kind of a fraudulent report. So that's my so reasoning. David, that's my chain of reasoning that leads right to the door of the White House. So, but it, 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 I mean, it, uh, this is probably a stupid question, but is it all about money? I mean, is it, the, is, it, is it about the constant wars that we have had since then that we justify? Is it, you know, Cheney's Halliburton? Because, uh, I mean, look, Halliburton, they destroy something, then we pay them to build it up, and, and they're the ones that, you know, now that war is privatized, you know, they're the ones that we pay to feed the soldiers and house the soldiers. And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they, they, they make out like bandits on both ends, you know. Um, the military well, it would be interesting business. how much... Yeah. So, so has, it was this all about justifying, um, you know, uh, a, you know, uh, the military-industrial compl- complex being richer, and and and, and I guess I, I guess what I'm trying to. I'm trying to wrap my head around how would so many people, and you know, the CIA, FBI, NIST, 
even just you know military people, um, uh, uh, in, in, uh, contractors. Everybody had to keep their mouth shut. They had to be benefiting from it, uh, or they were scared to death to speak out. Um, I, I guess it, it's hard for me to believe that so many people would keep quiet. They had to have been convinced that there was a good reason for this. And I, I, I don't well, know. Am I crazy? Not everybody knows everything. And it's not the kind of thing where everybody involved had the big picture. People who were involved had a little tiny corner of it, and so they don't feel like they're really involved in the whole project. They just had a little thing they did. And yes, there is fear and intimidation. Yes, there is uh, the payoff uh, for these uh, organizations. And then there's the, the threat of uh, losing your job. There's the threat of losing your life. I mean, there's people who... Uh, are, you know, can be silenced. Look, after the JFK assassination, there were hundreds of people, I think it was in the hundreds, it was de left definitely in the dozens, but uh, who were killed or died mysteriously um, to keep them quiet. So it's not like everybody had to be quiet. It's the, there is so much power to silence people and to keep, uh, to keep the truth from being widely known. So you have control of the press. Right. You have uh, the media is the, you know, how do you know what's the truth of the situation? Most people listen to the news. They, they, if it's on the media, they believe it. And if it's not in the media, it's somebody's making it up. So they, they don't know how to evaluate all this stuff on their own. And so they're, you know, they're struggling. If, you're, if you go to the Internet, you have to ask yourself, who do you believe? But there are tremendous right. resources that are on the Internet that once you start um, uh, understanding, you have to be judicious because there's, there is a lot of stuff that you have, to, you have to use your judgment. There's a lot of stuff there that is, um, you know, very flaky material. But what you get right. out of the mainstream press is flaky material as well. So. Uh, so what I mean, about the Pentagon? Uh, there was, there, the plane that hit the Pentagon, is there anything to be said about that? Well, I have a lot to say about that, but let me put it this way. Um, the, the place where the 9-11 Truth Movement has their greatest strength is in uh, figuring out what happened at the World Trade Center. There is very strong unanimity within the Truth Movement about uh, the fact that the buildings came down via demolition, uh, and the, the three buildings and so forth. So that is where we have our strongest uh, foothold into this. The Pentagon, from the very start, has had a lack of information, and there was a lot of misinformation that was fed into the process. So it's one of the most controversial elements of uh, the 9-11 story. So uh, my own particular research is, and a lot of a number of us, uh, uh, believe, yes, a plane, in fact, did hit the Pentagon. But it's the type of thing where uh, we've ignored the Pentagon situation for so long that um, there's a lot of uh, very flaky um, uh, theories and so forth that have erupted, you know, the idea that there was a flyover or there was a missile or it was just an explosion. But there's so much evidence of an actual plane that actually hit that 
once you get into denying that a plane hit the Pentagon, you basically get into saying that they faked all of this evidence. And once you start saying all the evidence was fake, it's sort of an unending morass. So, no, the Pentagon, uh, from the best we can tell, from my opinion, the best we can tell is that a plane really did hit the Pentagon. Hey, a plane hit the Twin Towers. It's not as though it's different. Uh, a plane hit the tower. Plane hit each of the two twin towers. A plane hit the Pentagon, and uh, in the case of the twin towers, you had the demolitions that had to be covered up. In the case of the Pentagon, they just needed to hit the thing. All they wanted is to have a, a rationale for calling this a military attack. And so, as soon as you hit the Pentagon, there's nothing fancy or surreptitious that has to happen. They just had to run a plane into the thing, and that's basically what we think they did. In fact, the Scientists for 9-11 Truth organization has pretty much uh, solidified a lot of its thinking around this particular point, and we're actually going to have a conference in May on this topic. So the announcement hasn't officially been put out yet, but uh, we have a a conference we're bringing together uh, five speakers that um, that have credentials to discuss this topic, and we're trying to clean up a lot of the... uh, fallacious kinds of theories that have been uh, promulgated about the Pentagon. So it, that's sort of like an in-house so, kind of a thing. But I don't recommend that as a starting point where you really get traction on the 9-11 truth movement is at the World Trade Center. That's where uh, the involvement of the government is so blatant. Right. The question, by the so, way, at the so Pentagon, the biggest single, excuse me, the single biggest question at the Pentagon is, how did a plane ever get in there to attack it in the first place? This has to be the most well-defended building in America. And nobody right. uh, stopped it. This is one place where uh, Cheney could have had a direct hand because uh, uh, Norman Mineta testified that he was in the bunker with Cheney and they were talking about uh, you know, tracking the plane as it was coming in. And so there's some ambiguous things that were said and all that, but it appears... Uh, to many people, that Cheney was basically ordering the stand down to not uh, interfere with this plane. So that's one of the angles you have in terms of um, administration involvement. So, yeah, we think there was a plane. It did hit. And uh, the big question is, how was the plane allowed to get into Washington, D.C. airspace, take this big, huge loop around, and then crash into the Pentagon, after both of the towers had been hit. So it's like everybody should have been on high alert, and why was this allowed to happen? So that's the real question right. at the Pentagon. Well, and I'm thinking, too, about the bushes, you know. Um, uh, it, and, you know, and I don't know where to separate fact from fiction on the bushes, but I know George Bush was in the CIA. You know, George Bush Sr. was in the CIA. Or H.W. Bush. Um, he, yeah, the, the father, not the, not the idiot son. Uh, yeah. Papa Bush. Um, he, he was in the CIA. He was on the Warren Commission for the uh, JFK assassination. Uh, he wasn't. Um, um, and, and Gerald the, Ford was on the Warren Commission. No? Bush, Bush was in the CIA at the time, though. <coughs> no, okay. George H.W. was okay. not on the oh, Warren okay. Commission. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, okay, thank you. 
no, no, no. Thank you for thank you for for because I don't I don't want to you know misspeak anything. No. And I mean, and there's there was there was all of this uh, talk about you know who his daddy and grandfather was. I mean, they were right. uh, you know in cahoots with the with the Nazis and uh, you know and all of that sort of stuff. And and you know uh, George Bush the son. Um, I mean, do we think he was just an idiot pawn in all of this, or he just looked the other way, or do we know or care? Well, it's clear that he uh, enabled this process. I mean, he was the president. He had to enable it. But he chose Cheney to be his vice president, and there's a lot of reason to believe that uh, Cheney was the one that really called the shots. So that's my view anyway. But, um, you know, it doesn't. It's not really, you know, you know, the position Relevant, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, their position is not, if you sign their petition, it doesn't mean that you agree with their theory or their outcome. It's the signing the petition, you're calling for a new investigation. So there's a lot of material that if an actual honest investigation were done, it could un- uncover a lot of these questions. But uh, so that's, uh, so was there- that's the point. Was there was there anyone in the media that made a decent attempt to uncover this? I mean, I'm thinking like uh, Greenwald with the Intercept, or I mean, was there anybody who really did uh, any kind of a decent job at trying to uh, get to the bottom of all of this? Well, apart from a few of the people in the alternative media on the internet. Uh, there has been a huge silence on the subject. And so you mentioned Greenwald, you take Norm Chomsky, you take a bunch of these people. They don't go there. Amy Goodman. Amy Goodman watched Building 7 come down. We have a video showing Amy Goodman watching Building 7 come down, and she won't talk about it. So there's what's going on. It's hard to say. Is there physical intimidation? Is there... She's going to get all of her funding and all of her everything she does that's good material going to get cut if she touches the subject. Who knows? But, um, yeah. you know, a case like that, why are these people uh, not touching? Why is it treated as a taboo subject? And even among the progressive media. So that's part of the reason that uh, my partner is doing this, uh, this book on uh, why people stay silent, you know. Right. So, David, what's happening now? Um, you know, you said y'all are uh, you're going to. It's that in house. Is it an in house conference or is it a public uh, conference that's coming up? Um, well, it's a, it's a public conference friends- in a sense. We haven't we haven't put out the official announcement yet. Uh, if anyone, I'm not sure. Is this live or is this going out soon or whatever? Uh, no, this is live. Oh, it's live. Okay. Well, if you. Um, uh, write to write to me at David at well uh, let's see that's not going to be a good one um, I'll give you the do you have my web address okay go to 911speakout.org that's my website and go to contacts page you can contact me so if you are listening to this and uh, want to come to Den- it's going to be in Denver Colorado and if you want to come it'll be on May 4th and I'm not sure yet if we're going to charge $20 or something like that but it's going to be limited seating, but it's going to be a specific conference on this one topic of the Pentagon. And if that's an issue that you are uh, passionate about, 
uh, then, you know, put your, you know, put your money down and come on in. But uh, right. so that's, that's not the big thing. This is sort of a, I said it's in-house in that it's an issue that has been uh, uh, disrupting the 9-11 truth movement. And the scientists who have done a lot of recent research about what really happened and showing that a plane actually did hit the Pentagon, uh, we're trying to get our case presented in that way. So this is not one of the big upfront things. However, there are some things that are big news on the horizon. One is that architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth uh, have been funding a uh, major study. It's by um, a professor at the University of Alaska who's doing it, and he's doing a computer modeling of Building 7. It's the kind of thing that NIST did, but then NIST covered it up and won't release the data that's behind their model. So they're falsifying what happened. In fact, the model that's being done is going to be an open source thing so anybody can examine it and so forth. And already they have uncovered ways in which the NIST modeling uh, was fraudulent. They left braces and uh, stiffeners and things like that out of the picture to weaken it to make it so that under certain conditions they could get the building to fall. And they still haven't gotten it to fall in any way that resembles what you actually saw. However, so that's one thing is uh, actually doing a, a detailed analytical study of how Building 7 collapsed. The other thing that's happening that I think is a bright spot on the horizon is there's a group called Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And they have... Uh, taken a number of initiatives in, in terms of the legal side of things, and they have um, initiated a grand jury, a federal grand jury, uh, to look into some of the claims and, um, and some of the fraudulent behavior of the, um, the administration and so forth. So uh, those are a couple of uh, fairly new initiatives on the horizon here. So it is an on, what we're doing is an ongoing effort. Uh, uh, anybody who, if anybody who's listening is a scientist and wants to sign up for Scientists for 9-11 Truth, you can go to scientistsfor911truth.org and contact us through that. And uh, we'd be welcome to uh, send you an application if you want to join that. Anybody, whether you're a scientist or an engineer or not, can sign up on the petition at Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth and uh, basically make a statement that way. They have over 3,000 certified engineers and sci I mean engineers or architects that have signed their petition and uh, tens of thousands of others. So you can sign up in the other category even if you're a complete layman on the subject, but just to, to get your name on the record. So there's a number of opportunities like that. And I always tell people, though, that the, another thing to do is become active in all the spinoffs. Uh, oppose torture. Oppose uh, all of this uh, snooping behavior uh, where everything, you know, you know, drone strikes, all of these things that have been justified by 9-11, to approach those topics with the knowledge that 9-11 was a fraudulent event, uh, transforms your participation in those events as well. So that's right. my, so, that's um, my call to talking, activism. Talking up, um, in, in, in definitely um, an area that needs, uh, you know, uh, 
participation. Um, but I, I wanted to just, um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, uh, you know, the, you, you talked about threats and intimidations. I mean, has anybody died mysteriously, or has the, has, has the worst been uh, people have lost their jobs, you know, to people who've spoken out? Um, there have been some who have died mysteriously. And uh, I can't, I'm not prepared with all the names and so forth right now, but um, there's one, I keep forgetting his name. Um, give me a second here. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm slow with coming up with names. I wasn't prepared on this. But uh, he, was, uh, he, was, uh, he was interviewed on the day of 9-11. He was a, uh, a guy who was a black guy who was employed in uh, the emergency management office in the city of New York, and he was in Building 7 for several hours before they got him out, he and another employee. And he, told, he spoke very openly about how there were explosions going off in the building way prior, some of them even prior to the Twin Towers coming down, and all of this is way prior to uh, 5.20 in the evening when the building came down. So explosions within Building 7 early in the day and he was testifying to this, and it was interviewed a number of times. Um, the day, excuse me, in the, in the days before NIST came out with their Building 7 report, um, he mysteriously died. Now, why is that? But, I mean, the people, yeah. there, was a, there was one group that actually hired a private investigator to look into it. The private investor, investigator came back the next day and put the money back on the table and said, I'm not touching it. So there are things like that that have gone on. Uh, there's, um, I haven't really followed or compiled a list, but there's, there's a number of cases where uh, there were mysterious deaths. So, yeah. Um, well, and, and I, I, I'm going to just throw this out there, and this is on me. Um, and, you know, and I don't want to say this to in any way, um, you know, cast any aspersions on all mm -hmm. of this research you've done on 9-11. But one of the mm -hmm. recent things that I thought happened out there in the world that was really suspicious and everything mm -hmm. just sort of suddenly got quiet was that shooting in Las Vegas from that hotel yeah. down, down at the people. Mm -hmm. um, th there was a lot, and, and I'm not really prepared to talk about that either. I'd have to go back and, and mm -hmm. reread stuff. But, you know, I, I, and maybe I've just seen too many spy movies, you know, mm -hmm. but, 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 you know, it just made you wonder what was really, you know, what's really behind <coughs> stuff, you know? We just never right. really know the story of anything, anything. Um, because that's, you know, that seemed like a really strange thing. And, um, you know, there were people that said stuff way before they could have possibly known. There were things that were said that were, uh, you know, that were taken back. Um, I, I don't know. That was just another really weird one that, uh, you know, that, that sort of raised the red flags. We're not getting the whole story, you know? Well, anyway. I like to try uh, and... I like to try and keep a focus because there are a lot of things like that that uh, some of them may have uh, uh, some good points to make and some of them are um, perhaps wild speculation and it's hard to sort them out and it takes a lot of time and energy to do that. And excuse me, I don't like to have that kind of thing merged with 9-11 as like, oh, if you believe one, you believe them all. 
And so, you right, know, there's right. Sandy Good Hook, and there's point. the Boston Marathon bombing, there's Orlando, there's San Bernardino, all of these different events. Right. And there may be some suspicious things uh, in one or more of those, but to try to tie our research to all of those, I like to keep it clean because I'm not an expert in those, and I haven't yeah, put in yeah. sufficient time and energy to know, to be able to separate fact from fiction. And so I would rather right, absolutely. Uh, speak about what I yeah, actually I know about, and I'm, and I'm dead no. certain yeah. about what I know about you know, when it comes to the building collapses at 9-11. And, um, so, yeah, and I mean, let's face it, David, so, you're, not getting, you know, you're not you know, getting rich taking this position, which obviously, um, you know, does you uh, – I mean, you're, you're not gaining anything by taking this position. No. If anything, you're putting, your, putting yourself at risk. So yeah, well, we, um, and, yeah. and I wasn't trying to trying to I wasn't trying to connect Las Vegas with 9/11. Right. My only no, I'm not was, I'm not trying we, we to never, say that we, none we of that really is know. worth looking into. I'm not I, I'm not trying yeah. to say that none of those are worth looking into. It's that uh, people tend to make overconfident generalities, and I don't. Right. Uh, I think you need to be conservative and cautious. I mean, science is an inherently conservative process. You really, really have to get rigorous about what you're doing. You come up with theories and hypotheses and so forth, but then you, uh, you spend most of your time trying to shoot them down and trying to uh, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And uh, that's one of the things um, that you know, science is really all about that. So there's a lot of scientists who don't jump on board with 9-11 probably for the same reason is they don't want to get sucked into something where they don't know what the end of the road is. But um, gotcha. yeah. those who have investigated, there's, it's, very, um, uh, it's very persuasive once you get into it enough to realize what really happened there. Uh, one last question about this, and then okay. we'll wrap up because we've um, we've gone on a little late, but it's been worth it. Thank you for staying mm-hmm. with me. Um, if you know, for someone you know who the science would probably make their eyes glaze over, um, do you recommend any documentaries out there that that get it pretty right or you know pretty accurate, where you could kind of see what you're talking about and um, just get a better feel for it, maybe a visual, and you know somebody telling the story while they're watching pictures kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the documentaries are better than others. Some of them are pretty awful. And uh, so, but if you want to watch a video, I have a, a talk that I gave uh, at the uh, University of Colorado Boulder uh, this last September. And it's right there. It's the second video down on my webpage, 911speakout.org, to get that in one more time. And if you want to, to basically see this laid out, I have a lot of illustrative material in there. Uh, you can uh, see the, the, the little video footage and my commentary on it and so forth. That's one place. To see a production film, uh, there's a number of uh, ones that are good. Uh, there's a number of them that are uh, pretty mixed. And if they're mixed, it's probably worse than not watching them because uh, you don't know the good from the bad. As I'm saying all this, I remember one video that I was, this may not be exactly on topic, but it's uh, it's sort of from a firefighter's perspective. 
that uh, I was impressed with in that they got it every single point they made, they hit the nail on the head. And it was um, something about Bravo 7. If that's enough to, to look it up. So something about, okay. that's not the entire thing, but it's something Bravo 7. And Bravo is like for B, like Building 7 is what that stands for. But it's looking at a firefighter's perspective, and they did an excellent job. And there's another video, uh, there's a couple of them actually, about uh, the dust and the health effects of the dust. Uh, there's, it's by a, a woman named Penny Little. She's an artist, but she did this. Uh, she interviewed a lot of the victims of uh, all of the inhalation issues that have come out of this, and that was an excellent uh, documentary. So those are two right there uh, that have different perspectives that I think were done. I'm very picky on these, and so if you go to a lot of the, the typical ones like Loose Change and there's Zero and there's, I don't know, there's a, a whole bunch of them. And most of them, uh, it's pretty much a 50-50 mix, good and bad, okay? Do, Maybe it's not 50-50, uh, but it's, it's a Michael big Moore? mix. Any, uh, any Michael Moore? Moore? Yeah, Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 uh, is good, but he doesn't go very deeply into it. He sort of skims, yeah. he, he skirts the, the key issues. I mean, he gets into some aspects of it, and that was definitely worthwhile to watch, and it's, it's solid, but he avoids getting into the actual uh, analysis of what happened. So, right, I mean, that's right. my take on that okay, one. Okay, David. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I remember so you're asking a, a, you're asking a harsh critic here when it comes to movies about this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I got it. Fair enough. Well, David, um, I want to thank you for um, continuing to speak out uh, in spite of the fact that it may, um, you know, it may put you at risk. I want to thank you for, uh, you know, being in the Awaken the Feminine anthology uh, because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, we have to get rid of domination and exploitation in all of its many mm -hmm. forms, and I'm becoming convinced that we are just normalizing all of this stuff, and, um, you know, drip by drip, drip by drip, um, we just accept more and more abuse, and, um, and uh, I, I don't know, it, it, it disturbs me greatly, and this was just uh, a huge example of um, of the American people, I think, being duped, and in uh, our in our treasury, our tax dollars, uh, you know, that could be used for um, social issues, education, um, medical research, you know, just fattening up the military industrial complex, and it just makes me crazy. So, mm -hmm. um, so thank you uh, and all your colleagues for continuing to stay on this and not just. Uh, um, dropping it because I'm sure it would be much easier to just let it go and go on with your life and and put it in the rearview mirror and um, you know I, I'm glad you're sticking with it so thank you. Well, thank you for having me, and I I'm not for exploitation okay. any more than you are. So it's not just a feminist issue, but you guys have a particular insight into that issue. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Uh, put me in touch with your psychologist friend writing those articles. I definitely want to get her here on the show if she's willing. And mm -hmm. uh, let's just give your website again. Uh, that is 911speakout.com. 
speakout.org. Yeah. Yes, 911speakout.org. Yes, very good. And find us for 911truth.org is is the organizational one as well. Okay, and I want to give you the final word here. Is there any closing comment you want to say or anything maybe I failed to ask you that you want to make sure is said? Well, I picked up some years ago. I lived in a very conservative area of California in the Central Valley, and it felt like I was, you know, it felt like you're all alone if you have a, a liberal perspective or a progressive perspective. And it was like everybody was afraid to speak out. And uh, the first time they had an election, uh, the Republicans won, but I realized that it was like 60-40. And I thought to myself, you know, 40% of the population around here, that's a lot of people, and every single one of them thinks that they're all alone. And I, it really yeah. hit me how important it is to speak out because that empowers other people to realize they're not alone and maybe they'll speak out too or take action. And so I think that's a very – that's something that everyone can do is to, when they have a conviction, to let people know uh, what's really in it, you know, what they really have uh, come to. So speaking out is something that – is a, a major moral issue, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it's moral issue, yep. and we, you know, it, it, uh, it's an obligation almost. And yeah. um, and and you know, and 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 I don't know. To me, I, this this is a peripheral to what you just said. You know, I think about how, uh, like you said, you got the idea that you know you were alone, and then you realize there's 40% of the population. I mean, you know, when they do these polls, they find out that 70% of the people want uh, Medicare for all and $15 right. minimum wage. You know, all of these progressive ideas that the media would have you think um, or, you know, or, you know, that, you know, it's just a small minority and it's, you know, and in its extreme viewpoint. But look at what Bernie Sanders did, you know, Uh, Bernie Sanders in those couple of years running for president. He did. He opened up the conversation, and now all these positions that they said was extreme, you know, all the Democrats are running on because they realize that people are sick and tired of of crumbs, you know, and they want to, you know, they they want to have that quality of life like these democratic socialist uh, Scandinavian countries, you know, and and have health care and have education and have a retirement and maybe get a month vacation and, uh, you know, decent. I mean, if if we really care about family values, you know, let's let's act like it and not expect a mother to go back to work 48 hours after she's had a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. unless she's going to lose her pay and all of this in you main um, treatment that I think Americans again we tolerate as normal you know and um, I, yeah I'm, I'm going back to this idea yes speak out speak out loudly and often that, that's the origin uh, of you know, my website was- name is that I, I wanted to say 9-11 speak out that's where that speak out comes from is that experience yes 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 all right, David. Well, um, it's been great talking to you again. Um, thank you for your work. I am sure we will uh, have an occasion to talk again. Uh, let me know if mm-hmm. anything new comes up, um, and yeah. I will have you back on the show, and we will cover it, okay? Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Good night. Good night. Okay. and. Uh, 
before we go, um, I have a word uh, for you uh, from Joe Carson. Hello. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at DancingWithGaia.com. Okay, I'll be back with you next uh, Wednesday, uh, dear listeners, and uh, I will have another contributor to the anthology, Awaken the Feminine, uh, with me, uh, Isidore Forrest, and uh, we are going to be chatting about um, uh, a few things. Uh, One of them is um, the uh, Hecate and... uh, uh, you know, we, we know of Isis as the goddess of sacred magic, and we're going to be talking about that. But um, Hecate is on the rise, and uh, that's something Isadora is going to be talking about with me. And I think you will probably uh, want to hear, because as you may or may not know, uh, Hecate is a goddess at the crossroads. And um, that might have something to do with why she is making herself known right now. So you will want to make sure to tune in. Um, also, in uh, listening to that um, uh, trailer for Joe Carson's film, the uh, the woman in the in the trailer mentioned Monica Chu, uh, uh, who wrote the uh, the Great Cosmic Mother, and uh, I just want to mention I talk about that a little bit in my uh, newsletter that just went out, uh, Dancing at the Edges with Karen Tate. Uh, if you'd like to get uh, the newsletter every month, just email me at Karen Tate 108 at yahoo.com, and I will put you on the list. 
to um, in order to uh, you know get uh, the newsletter every month. But anyway, I mentioned Monica Shu and the Great Cosmic Mother because she was one of the few foremothers who I felt had the courage to make the connection between goddess and democratic socialism. Uh, because I I. I I believe, and I think maybe many of you will too, that um, there is, there is um, you know, goddess spirituality, sacred feminine liberation theology, and predator capitalism, which we are living through right now, they are not in sync. Um, I think we have to reconcile our spirituality and our politics, and I think one of the conversations we need to be having is what should our politics be if we are serious about being a goddess advocate, about wanting a world that um, has more uh, feminine values. I mean, what we I, what we label as feminine values. Uh, I don't want to get into the gender thing because I think that's a trap, but I think you understand the point I'm trying to make. Um, anyway, uh, Monica Shu, uh, Great Cosmic Mother, talks about that. Also, I, you know, I stumbled onto her uh, Monica Shu talking about goddess and socialism or democratic socialism, which is not communism, by the way. Don't go there because uh, our, our academic system has done a poor job of educating people on the difference between communism, socialism, democratic socialism. I mean, um, you know, I've had uh, uh, um, economists on the show who've said that, you know, they can't even talk about socialism in colleges lest they risk uh, not getting tenure. Uh, I mean, we were just talking with David Chandler about how academia, uh, you know, is at the mercy of uh, power in this country. There's another example. Uh, you know, they only t- they only teach people that capitalism is the only way, and extol the virtues of capitalism, never talking about um, what's bad about it, the victims of capitalism, and what other. Um, uh, versions of economies could, in fact, benefit more people. Um, you know, I sort of lost my train of thought. Oh, Monica Shu, and who talked about the connection between goddess and socialism. I found out about that um, as I was reading the German psychologist um, Eric Fromm, uh, who wrote to I think it's to have or to be. Um, I did not know in my 30 years as a goddess advocate that a hundred years ago they were making the connection between um, goddess and socialism. And uh, not one foremother that I know, uh, not one of my teachers or mentors taught me that. It took uh, learning it from Eric Fromm, the German psychologist, and then I stumbled onto Monica Shu, who, as far as I know, is the only other one who will uh, make that connection. And, of course, she has passed on. But uh, kudos to Monica Shu for having the courage to do that. And um, I know I've just thrown out the title of a lot of different books, um, but... Uh, Put them on your list. Put them by your bedside. Uh, We do need to take responsibility for our own education because um, otherwise, um, you know, I don't think we're getting the full picture and the whole story. Okay. Um, That about does it for me tonight. Uh, Thank you for staying with us this uh, extra 40 minutes. I think it was well worth it. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, I will be back with you uh, next Wednesday, uh, the 27th of February. Uh, Stay warm, uh, have fun, and um, be well. Good night.